What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. Augustus Toplady was born in the 1700s in England. And when he was just an infant, his father unexpectedly went to be with the Lord. And so there he was as a little child and his mother traveling from England and moved all the way to Ireland. And some years went by and he went to a barn church service and it was in that barn where God would begin to deal with his heart in a very special way. At 16 years of age, God there by a faithful preacher relaying the gospel through the word of God began to bring conviction upon Augustus's heart in such a way that he cried out to God for salvation. There he saw with his eyes Jesus on the cross. There he saw Jesus placed in that tomb, and there he by faith entrusted him for salvation. And of his conversion, he wrote these words. Strange that I, who had so often sat in church in England, should be brought right with God in an obscure part of Ireland, midst a handful of people met together in a barn, and by the ministry of one who could hardly spell his own name. Surely it was the Lord's doing and is marvelous. As I think about that story, I'm reminded about how God can transform our lives in the most unlikely conditions using the most unlikely people. And there time would go on and Augustus would later be called to ministry to become a pastor. And he was traveling along the way and a storm began to brew. The clouds began to um, go between his sight to the sun and it began to be dark. And the lightning began to strike and the thunder began to crack and the rain began began to pour down upon him. And he looked and saw a cave and he dashed over to the cave. And there inside this cave, God began to stir him to write a song. And it's a song we still sing today. And the lyrics from the very third verse say this. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. The words to the third verse of Rock of Ages. Today as we think about that example of history, I'm reminded of this song and of this situation That when we come before the presence of God, we have to come before his presence his way, not our way. And that's exactly what we see in the life of Abel found here in verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 11, going back to Genesis chapter 4. That Abel, in his own unique way, was coming to God by faith and Cain was coming to God man's way. And so if you want to approach God, you've got to approach God God's way. You can't approach God man's way. And the way we approach God is through his son, Jesus Christ, and through the cross. And so I echo what the songwriter said in the 1700s, nothing in my hands I will bring, but simply to the cross of Christ I will cling. Today, the title of my message is simply The Faith of Abel. And if I could elaborate on that thought, the the one key statement that I have for you today to take away from this message is simply this. The life of Abel urges us to live our lives with sacrificial 
faith. Of course, when you think of Abel, you think of sacrifice. When you think of Abel, of course, we know the writer of Hebrews is writing and he's extending his words from chapter 10, quoting the book of Habakkuk about how the just is going to live by faith. And here we have the very first example. He kind of described what faith is in verse 1. He talked about in verse 2 about how these elders, these ones that have gone before us, especially in the Old Testament context, received great faith in God and obtained this good report by faith. And then he talks about how verse 3, going back to Genesis 1, origins about how we have to accept creation by faith. And all of these characters accepted that by faith. And then he opens up the doorway to bring to the stand a witness in history about who lived by faith. Abel. And this was sacrificial faith. I'm afraid today, in the modern era, we've lost the concept of sacrifice. We've lost the concept of what it means to lay things down and live for another. We've lost the idea of, of taking up the cross of Christ and living for him each and every day. And today, as we think about this life of Abel and faith and sacrificial faith in particularly, I want to ask this question. What exactly does this verse in Hebrews teach you and me about this concept of sacrificial faith? Well, I'm glad you asked today because I have three thoughts I want to share with you from this verse. And, and keep in mind, the writer of Hebrews is going back to Genesis, summarizing this entire scene in chapter 4 of Genesis with one simple sentence. But it's not in there. We see that, that throughout Scripture... Jesus mentions Abel in Matthew and Luke. The writer of Hebrews mentions him again in chapter 12. We see that, 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 that here in verse number 4, Cain is also mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. And in 1 John and in the book of Jude, it mentions Cain. So the, Genesis is not the only time Cain and Abel is mentioned. Throughout Scripture, we see them mentioned many times. But that being said, the first thought I want to share with you is simply this. What does this verse teach us about sacrificial faith? Well, first of all, sacrificial faith means giving your best to God. Sacrificial faith means giving your best to God. Verse number four, it says, By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. This takes us back to Genesis, where you know the story. Adam and Eve were created and they were placed into a garden. Well, really, Adam was created and placed into a garden. And there, God took the lower rib of Adam and formed Eve from that. And then the Bible says that, that in chapter 3, the enemy called the serpent into the form of a serpent comes and tempts and deceives mankind into eating what they were not called and commanded to eat from. And there they fell. And we have received this sin nature ever since then. But in chapter 4, the Bible speaks about how they're given a son. And the Bible says that they say, I have received a man from God. Remember in Genesis chapter 3, we read about the very first sacrifice that was ever taken place, picturing to us the, the future sacrifice to come of the Messiah. And here we know that they took these animals and, and they killed them and they made that sacrifice and it was for God. But then God in that sacrifice in Genesis 3 promised that a, a redeemer and Messiah would come. And so it is very possible that, that Adam and Eve thought that here was the promised Messiah to come. But my friends, Cain was not that promised Messiah. No way, shape, or form. 
In fact, Cain is, the, is, is a type of what it means to try to go to God by man's own way and not bringing God his best. And so we see that Abel brings God the sacrifice of an animal. And Cain brings God a, a sacrifice from the ground produce. Now, for many years, you might have studied this story and you might have, have heard it preached that the reason why Abel's sacrifice was accepted was because it was a blood sacrifice. And that because of, of Cain bringing the fruit of the ground, that it was not accepted. Well, I just want to remind you that if you've ever read Leviticus and Deuteronomy, Israel was called to bring both grain offerings and, and animal offerings. So I've come to believe that that, that that is not the reason why God accepted that or did not accept it. In fact, the only way we know, in fact, the only commentary we have in Scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation about why God accepted Abel's over Cain's is here in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 4. And it's one word. Can you think of the word? It's faith. That is the secret ingredient to the sacrifice there. Cain did not come with faith in God, but Abel came to God in faith. And so as I think about this, I'm reminded of what Jude says in chapter 1. He says, the way of Cain. And so the way of Cain is this idea of approaching God any way that God says to come. And today, I, I want to share a few things that, that is certainly in this culture, it would make people mad, but I have to stand where God stands. That if I'm trying to get to God through praying five times a day to Mecca, it is man's way of getting to God. If I'm trying to memorize the Quran to get to God, that is man's way to get to God. If I'm trying to reach the state of nirvana through Buddhism or Hinduism, it is man's way to get to God. If I'm trying to go on a two-year mission for the LDS concept of faith and do all these good works, that is a man's way to get to God. Not God's way. God's way to get to, to God himself is through Christ and the cross. And today... I simply have nothing to bring to God to receive this gift of faith and salvation. And neither do you. There's nothing good in me that I could do this. I can't get baptized by, by the Baptist preacher and the Presbyterian preacher. I can't go to confession to the Catholic priest to kind of get to God. The only way I can get to God is by faith through Jesus Christ. That's it. Scripture clearly teaches that. So maybe you're here today and you're trying to get to God some other way. I submit to you that is the way of Cain. And that is the way of error. And that is the way of falsehood. And that is the way the enemy wants you to go down. But today, my friends, the way to Jesus or the way to God is through Christ in the cross. Sacrificial faith means giving your best to God. Here, obviously, I do believe that this sacrifice that was offered. Now, by the way, the word offer here in Hebrews chapter 11, all it means is to present. Remember when the, the, the wise men came to Jerusalem, they brought gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, and they placed it down before Jesus and presenting it to him as gifts. So the idea here is simply Abel is bringing this sacrifice as an offering and presenting it to God through faith. And today, the only thing that I have is the cross. The only thing that you have is the cross. If you were to slip through the doorway of death right now and stand into eternity and God were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? If your answer is, well, I, I was baptized as, as a 15-year-old as a you know, in, in the pond right there where I live. 
Well, I was a member of, of, of this church, and then I, I went to this church. I was a member there. I, I taught Sunday school for all these years, and I raised my kids, and I, I did all these things. And, and if your answer is not the cross and what Jesus did there, my friend, God may, in fact, turn you away from heaven, just like he turned this sacrifice away. Now, I do think it's interesting here, by the way, that some commentators and many throughout history believe that in this moment, the reason that, that they're reading between the lines in Genesis chapter 4, that, that when Abel brought his offering and when Cain brought his offering, that God sent down fire and consumed the offering. And they say that because other times in Scripture, God did consume an offering and a sacrifice with fire. However, I want you to know that the Bible never specifically says that. So let's be careful not to add to the Word of God and let's be careful not to take away from it. And here in Hebrews, it says, by faith. Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. So I wonder, what are you bringing to God to get this faith? Well, your good deeds can't help you. Your church membership can't help you. Your baptism can't help you. All these things are good things to do and be involved in, but they cannot help your standing before God only your faith in Christ. So your best is Jesus. That's the best. His sacrifice, by the way, is being portrayed in Abel's sacrifice that he brought that little animal to. That in this moment, that we see that a picture, a foreshadowing of an event that would take place, that would, that would mean that, that, that all of humanity, man, woman, boy, or girl, from past to present to future can approach God and it is through the sacrificial lamb of God 2,000 years ago on the cross. What a day that was. What a day it was when, when the wrath of God and the judgment of God and the indignation of God collided with the grace, love, and mercy of God on the cross to where that mankind can be reunited with God himself. So I wonder, do you have that faith today in Jesus? What are you bringing before him? The life of Abel urges us to live our lives with sacrificial faith. But secondly, I want to share with you, as we move forward in our verse, in verse number four of Hebrews 11, sacrificial faith not only teaches me about how we are to give God our best, but sacrificial faith, secondly, means receiving the righteousness of God. Sacrificial faith means receiving the righteousness of God. Notice the Bible goes on to say, it says, by faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. The word witness here is the word we get martyr from. It is the word we get testimony from. And so if you would, could I just rearrange how it could be said? That Abel obtained and received a testimony in that he was righteous. This was not that Abel was righteous in of himself, but that he came to God by faith and God imputed his righteousness to him. And we see this is what the Bible speaks of through, in theology, the imputation of Christ. How when Christ died on the cross... 
It was his righteousness for our unrighteousness. In fact, what did did Isaiah say? He said, all of my righteousness is nothing more than filthy rags in the sight of God. If you could, just imagine going and changing the oil in your car and you get all greasy and you get all nasty and you take that rag, you try to wipe yourself off and that rag is just totally filthy and dirty. And and the idea is simply this, is that just as dirty as that rag is, is our righteousness in the sight of God and we don't have any righteousness of ourselves. Only through Christ. And notice it says, that by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. This word gift is a similar word to the word offering and sacrifice. And so in other words, that he's presenting these gifts, he's presenting this offering to God, and God, through the means of faith in which Abel is doing, declares Abel to be righteous. But Cain brought his own ideas He brought, in a sense, man's religious works and deeds before God, and God said it is not acceptable. And today, my friends, when we do stand before God, we will either be declared righteous through the work of Christ, or we will be declared unrighteous because we are trying to get to God some other way. Remember what Jesus said? He said, if you try to get to God by any other way in which I am telling you, the same is a thief and a robber. Only way through Christ and his righteousness. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, we, we see that Cain is mentioned. And it says, Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. And then in Romans chapter 4, we see that, that Paul the Apostle is writing this great dissertation of the Christian faith. And he, and he says these words about justification. In fact, Romans chapter 4 is all about this concept of being justified by faith in Christ. And in Romans chapter 4 and verse 5 through 9, listen to these words. It says, but, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the godly, his faith is counted for righteousness. And then it says, even as David also describes the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputes righteousness without works. In other words, that, that no deed in me, I could go to God and receive this righteousness of Christ that he took place on the cross. Only God can give that to you and me. That's what it means by impute. Only God can apply that to our account. And it says, check it out, I love this verse, quoting David. Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. What a blessed moment in history when we cry out to God and we say, God, forgive me of my sins. I have transgressed. I need your mercy. And God steps in and gives us that mercy. That is a blessed day. And then he goes on to say, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So the idea is simply this. Is that Abel was given the righteousness of God. Cain, because he did not approach God the way God described to Adam and Eve, and throughout his word, Cain received a sinful nature in the sight of God. And today I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we're all sinners, we are. I mean, I I have fallen short. I have come short of God's glory. I don't measure up to the perfect standard set in Jesus Christ. I mean, I've said things that I should not have said. I've thought things I should not have thought. And I have done things that I should not have done. I am a sinner. I'm guilty of the judgment and condemnation and damnation of God. And so are you. But blessed, the one who is 
happy beyond all earthly and heavenly comprehension is that man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. My friends, what kind of righteousness is on your garments? Is it man's righteousness or is it God's righteousness? Is it the work of Christ on the cross or is it the work through false religious ideas through man? Sacrificial faith means receiving the righteousness of God. Sacrificial faith means giving your best to God. But then the verse goes on. It says, of course it says that he obtained this witness that he was righteous and God testifying of his gifts. Isn't that amazing? Can I take you to God's courtroom? If you will, the triune God is present and there the father's on the, sta- uh, on the, on the little place where the judge sits and, and there the, the lawyer is Jesus Christ and there we have a witness and Jesus is, our, is the one there and he's the one testifying to the father to remove the wrath of God upon the son on our behalf. And that is amazing, that is amazing. That is awesome stuff right there. That's the gospel in a nutshell that God would take the wrath that we deserve and place it on his son. And gives us righteousness. Gives us the garments of purity and holiness. But the verse goes on. And it says, and by it, he, speaking of Abel, being did, yet speaks. So thirdly today, what does Abel's life teach me about sacrificial faith? Well, it reminds me of how we got to bring God our best. How we got to receive God's righteousness But then sacrificial faith, thirdly, means offering your witness to God. Offering your witness to God. Able, to our mindset and perspective, did not live a full, mature life that perhaps he should have lived. His life was taken prematurely. That is, at least as I read it. But I understand the sovereignty of God is at display here. That God allowed this event to take place to remind us that we need to bring God our best and come to him his way. We need to be clothed with his righteousness. But then also, God allowed this event to take place in the very beginning. To allow the very first murder, the very first martyr, if you will, to to take place so that he could reveal to us that Abel's life, even though it was very short-lived, and was taken by his own blood and brother, his life is still preaching today. So today, if you will, this is one of the longest sermons ever preached in history. Abel, in fact, I love how Jesus mentions him in Matthew and in Luke. And he speaks about how these Pharisees, because of the way they're treating God, cannot escape the judgment of God and his damnation, and the blood of Abel is on their shoulders. How about that? Even though Abel is dead, he's still preaching. And I would like to just say to you today that when we are long gone out of this world, our life will still be preaching. Now, certainly, our life may not be speaking thousands of years down the line just as Abel has, but I submit to you today that if you've lived a life on this earth, you will speak not only a sermon in the life that you live, but you will also speak a sermon in the death that you die. And Abel... Abel's sermon is this, give God your best, be clothed with God's righteousness, and be faithful till death. You know, Lifeway came out with with an article a couple of years ago about, entitled with the question, how long is a typical sermon? 
And that's a, a real good discussion we can have. And it revealed what Protestant pastors and what Protestant churchgoers considered the normal length to a sermon. 31% of pastors and 14% of churchgoers claimed a sermon should be less than 20 minutes. How about that? You didn't get that one today. I'm sorry. <laughs> 54% of pastors and 53% of churchgoers claim that the message should be between 20 and 40 minutes. Sounds about average. And then 14% of pastors and 32%, I thought that was quite high, of churchgoers say the sermon should be more than 40 minutes. Well, what I've learned over the last several years is the sermon will always be too long for most and never too long for some. I've learned that 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 there are a lot of people out there who can preach way better than me. I've learned that there are people out there who can go into the original languages and highlight the Greek language far greater than me and exegete the Hebrew text far greater than me. I've learned that there are some people who have a better knowledge of the Word of God than I do, and perhaps some of you probably do, than me. I've learned that there are some people who have a better oratory ability and can deliver a sermon far greater than what I can do, and they can do everything better than me. But I'm here to tell you something. There's one thing that nobody can do better than me. And that is nobody can preach a better gospel than I'm preaching right now. Not you, not me, nobody. And one thing I've learned is that if you're here today just to put in your time for one simple hour, 60 minutes to God and say, God, I'm only going to give you 60 minutes to speak to me, then you're coming to God your own way, not God's way. Today I've learned that 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 I'm gonna to give to you what God has given to me. If that means it's five minutes or if that means it's 55 minutes, then if you gotta go, if it's really that important to you, the door swings both ways, my friends. Today I've learned that the modern church cares more about getting to K&W or to IHOP or to uh, the buffet than we do about eating the very manna from God and his word. My sermon will soon come to an end in probably a minute or so. But the sermon that Abel preached is a sermon that points to the cross and it's a sermon that will never die and never have a closing prayer. And that is 2,000 years ago, God sent his only begotten son to, to take the penalty of all humanity on the cross, there to be brutally slain for your sins and my sins, there to be beaten and whipped and bruised and to be driven uh, nails into his wrists and into his feet and a crown of thorns driven into his skull. There to be placed on that cross of Calvary so that mankind could approach God God's way. And my friends, if you're trying to get to God any other way, you will be sorely displeased when you get to heaven. The cross, the cross, the cross is what we have to cling to. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Sacrificial faith is the life of Abel. What's up, guys? Brian here again. Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith.
Keep the faith.